Let us pray. Our most gracious and holy Father, pour your Spirit upon us and draw near to us. Grant us to hear your word. Grant us to lay hold of your scriptures that you have given to us. And draw us near to yourself during this time of worship. That we would forevermore be drawn and changed and renewed. That we would be able to rest more and more in Christ our Lord. And it is through that very same Jesus Christ that we do pray. Amen. Today's passage here in 2 Corinthians is one I think that is probably very familiar to most of us. I'm sure many of us have heard of Paul and his struggles, this thorn in the flesh that he has been given, the struggle that he exists with continually throughout his ministry that he pleaded with the Lord three times and yet it was not taken away. You can see here that Paul is not living what some would call the victorious life. Paul is not living a life where his faith causes him to have victory over every struggle that he has. But he is living the life of faith. He is living a life that despite the circumstances around him, he continually looks to Christ. He doesn't let the fact that there are struggles, that there are diseases, that there are brokennesses within his life Stop him from looking to Christ. Here in this passage, I think Paul brings sharply into focus his very words that he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2. I determined to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. That Paul is looking only to Jesus in the midst of this thorn and its affliction in his life. That he strives to look ever forward at Christ at Him crucified on His behalf, remembering continually that Christ died for everything that separates Him from the Father. And if Christ has died for something so great as Paul's sin, as all of his sins, how can God, through Christ and the Spirit, not carry Paul through the struggles that he endures? How could he ever doubt the power of Christ to carry him through his daily life? And that is what Paul is resting his boast in, is in the reality of Christ and his own weakness. And for Paul, in his arguments with all of these super apostles that have laid hold of the hearts of the Corinthians, these super apostles who brag about the great revelations that they have received, the great words of wisdom that they have received from angels, the visions that they have seen of the heavens beyond this earth. These super apostles have put all of their stock in impressing the people with these great and glorious things. And the people have been taken in by it. They see a a glimmer of these people's spiritual lives. But Paul says, that's not how it's to be. It is not about our spiritual experiences of great and glorious things that determines the Lord's working in our lives, but it is the rest that we find in Christ. It is that we do not boast in the great and glorious gifts we have received, but we boast in our weaknesses all the more that we might boast in Christ Himself. All the more that we might know the power of Christ Himself. It is not in the mountaintop revelations of nearness to God that we are to seek. 
We are not to seek after mountaintop revelations, but we are to live our lives amongst the people of God, to live our lives in the midst of this world in our weakness. For it is through that very weakness that we might know the power of Christ himself. It is in weakness, Paul says, that I know the power of Christ. And where does this leave us? Paul begins here in verse 2 with what I would call an unutterable revelation. He received a vision. In the previous two chapters, he has been defending his apostolic ministry to the Corinthians. He has been telling them that he is their apostle. He is the one who came in weakness, who came in brokenness and presented the gospel to them. Though, yes, he has been harsh with them in letters, he has spoken strongly and boldly to them, but yet in their presence, he was gentle. He walked with them. He guided them. He pointed them to Christ. Though Paul was weak in their midst, though he sometimes struggled to find the right words to preach to the people, he still labored for their sake. And even more so as he wrestles against these false apostles, he reminds the people of the struggles and the things that have happened to him. How he has been almost put to death multiple times. How he has been shipwrecked. How he spent three days and a night adrift at sea. That he was on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, from robbers, from his own people, from Gentiles. In the city and in the wilderness, dangers all about him. Even dangers from false brothers. His entire ministry has been one that has been fraught with various kinds of dangers, with sleepless nights, with hunger and thirst, without food and cold and exposure, he says in chapter 11. But not only those things, there's also the anxiety he has for his churches. He desires the good of his churches and that rests upon his shoulders. And it makes him feel weak. That Who is capable of such a task. But, in order to combat these super apostles, Paul says, if this is what it has to be, I will talk about revelations. I will talk about visions of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, he says, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Paul receives an unutterable revelation from God. Somewhere in the midst of his ministry 14 years prior. We're not sure of the precise date of 2 Corinthians but it's somewhere between 56 and 58 A.D., most scholars think. Which means sometime in the early to mid-40s, in the earliest 40s, he received this revelation, which is in the midst of one of his missionary trips. As he is wrestling to spread the gospel, as he is seeing himself hemmed in, as he is seeing himself being kicked out of towns left and right because of the message of Christ. And here God calls him up. Paul is simply drawn up into heaven. He doesn't resist. He is completely passive in the things that he sees. He is not driving forward to see anything. But God reveals these things to him. And Paul is so caught up in that moment, he has no clue if it's merely spiritual 
or if his whole physical body has been caught up into heaven. He has no idea. Only God knows what the level of this experience was. He can give no details about the experience except simply that it happened. He heard things that he can't talk about. He heard things that no man may utter. And we're not sure what he means by that. I know that he doesn't mean that he received some hidden mystery from God that others can receive once they're initiated into the mystery cult. No, he's heard things in heaven that either human language just cannot grasp and put into words or that human ears just, even with human words, could not grasp or understand. That they are too good for us. They are too high and holy for us in our sinful beings. That without a special glory from God, without a special dispensation of grace from God, we cannot endure these things until He renews us inwardly and outwardly completely. We cannot endure the things that Paul has seen and heard that he cannot repeat. And Paul says, on behalf of that man, I'll boast. I won't boast on my behalf. Paul, in this unutterable revelation, separates himself in the present from himself in the past. Though he is talking in a third person of someone that he knows, most everyone knows that Paul is talking about himself as you go through this passage, as you go through him talking about this revelation and the greatness of it. That he got a thorn for it. Well, if this was some other person who received this glorious revelation, why would Paul get the thorn? So as a parent, Paul is putting a distinction between himself and these two places in life. That yes, he received a great and glorious revelation, but his ministry is not about that revelation. His ministry is about the work and the power of Christ through the cross crucified on our behalf. That is what Paul's ministry is about. It's not about great and glorious experiences that he has received. It is about the power of Christ working in his weakness. That is what Paul is concerned about. And he wants the Corinthians to look at what he has done in their midst, what they have heard of him doing amidst the churches throughout the world. That he has worked and worked to make Christ known. That he is not one to brag about the greatness of visions or the greatness of dwelling with God of the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given to him. He doesn't want man to look at him. He wants us all to look up and see Christ himself. To look through him to Christ. And out of that unutterable revelation, there was an unending thorn that Paul received. As he said, on behalf of that man, I'll boast. But if I'm going to talk about myself... In the here and now, I'm going to talk about my weakness. I'm going to talk about how I am not capable of doing what the Lord has caused me, called me to do. I will boast in my weakness. I will speak only of my weaknesses in order that I might boast in the Lord. As he has said both in his first letter to the Corinthians and even in this letter just a chapter before, if anyone is to boast, they are to boast in the Lord. It is about the Lord that we are to boast And Paul, in receiving this vision, was given a thorn afterwards. Again, another aspect. We don't know what this thorn is. We don't know what his vision exactly was. We don't know what his thorn is. But this unending thorn was given to him. To keep him from becoming conceited, Paul saw the reality of it. After enduring this suffering over and over and over, he sees that the purpose of this thorn was to keep him from becoming conceited and thinking too highly of himself. 
N.T. Wright brought up an example of Icarus and how Icarus, when he glued the wings to his arms and he flew, he flew up closer and closer to the sun and the wax melted off of his feathers and he fell and died. He thought too highly of his abilities, thinking that he could reach up to the sun itself. And he fell and died. Thankfully, Paul did not fall and die, for this thorn drove him down into weakness. The thorn took away any sense of boasting in the strengths that he had. Most people believe that this thorn was some sort of physical ailment, whether it was his eyes or rheumatism, whether it was epilepsy or some brain disorder or, or a voice disorder, stuttering or something like that. He had some kind of inability, something that pricked him and caused him deep pain inwardly and outwardly. And so he turns to the Lord. He says in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave. He wanted this unending thorn that he also calls even a messenger of Satan who harasses him. That God has allowed Satan's messengers to come and assault Paul. Much in the way that he allowed Satan to assault Job, but he gave him boundaries. He could not take Job's life. Likewise, these messengers, this messenger from Satan has a very limited scope in what he can do to Paul. But nonetheless, it is painful to Paul. And three times Paul pleads, take away this unending thorn. Let it leave me, O Lord. Reminiscent of the very words of Jesus himself in the garden. Three times Jesus prayed in that garden of Gethsemane for the cup of crucifixion, the cup of the wrath of God to be removed. But like Jesus, the And just like for Paul, the cup is not removed. Jesus instead is strengthened and given the ability to endure His particular calling. And that calling for Jesus was to die for the sins of the world. And the Lord strengthened Him. His Father strengthened Him and built Him up to endure. The Father did not take the cup of wrath from Jesus. And here the Father does not remove this thorn in the flesh from Paul. He leaves it. Three times Paul pleads and the Lord says, No, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. An unending thorn gives way for Paul to an unimaginable grace. The Lord looks down at Paul and his struggles and his suffering and says, I will leave that thorn there because that thorn will drive you to me where you will know my grace more deeply. You will know that my grace is utterly and completely and 100% sufficient for everything that you need. My power is made perfect in weakness. The weaker Paul is, the greater the power of God works in him. The weaker Paul is, the more and more of the glory of the Lord can come through him out to the whole church. The weaker Paul is, the more glorious Jesus can be presented. For in Paul's weakness, he glories in Christ crucified. He sees that our bodies are weak. That our bodies are imperfect. That as sin flows out of our bodies, we need grace. And we need to be made perfect. And it is only through the weakness that we can discover the perfections of God. 
that we can discover the power of his spirit working in us. Paul continues, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul lives in this unimaginable grace in order that he would know the power of Christ. And so he boasts all the more gladly in his weaknesses. He boasts in the fact that he is weak. He boasts in the fact that he has received a thorn that creates struggle, that creates pain, that creates suffering every moment of his life. He boasts in that because that drives him to Christ. It drives him to know the power of Christ resting upon him. And a really beautiful thing about that second part of verse 9, the power of Christ may rest upon me. Simon Kistemacher says that it could be literally translated as that the power of Christ may pitch a tent over me. It's the same word that's used, or a word related to the verb in John 1.14 that Christ dwelt among us. Christ pitched His tent amongst us. Here it has a modifier on that main verb of pitching a tent that means to pitch a tent over, to pitch a tent upon. And the picture is that of Christ coming down His power being placed on top of us and us being gathered in to dwell and rest and abide in that very tent. That is what Paul desires to do, that in his weakness he is driven into the tent of Christ. Not driven away, but driven into that place of rest. And that is where Paul wants to be, and that's why he will glory and boast and brag, in fact, about his own weaknesses. So that he will know the power of Christ. And so that as he points people to Christ, he reminds them of the grace that he has received that we all receive in the midst of our suffering that this is a grace that empowers us to live and so in verse 10 for the sake of christ then i am content with weaknesses insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when i am weak then i am strong that ultimate tension that in our weakness we discover strength in our suffering we discover healing In our struggles, we discover a path back to the Lord. We discover a path that leads us more and more directly to Jesus. And it's a beautiful way that the Lord works, that He takes the brokenness of this world and through that brokenness works in us His grace, works in us His power for that brokenness causes us to be weaker and weaker. And when we embrace our weakness, we discover the strength of the Spirit working in us. We discover the healing of the Spirit. Another commentator, Charles Erlinson, says, I don't believe that Paul takes pleasure in the pain and infirmities themselves. Paul isn't boasting so much about those pains and those infirmities, but he is boasting and taking pleasure in the presence of Christ who comes to him in strength when he cries out in weakness. He can take pleasure in his suffering and weakness because it is in that very suffering and weakness that Jesus Christ comes to him. Suffering with him and asking Paul to share in his suffering. And so rather than disdaining the suffering that Paul deals with, he takes pleasure in it because it gives to him also Christ. He knows that Christ, who has said that his grace is sufficient, comes alongside him in all of his suffering. He trusts Christ to be at work in him, to work through his weakness to rest in Christ Himself, to abide in that tent of the power of Christ. And for Paul, it meant that he never found healing. 
He never found relief. He never found release from this brokenness. But it wasn't because he didn't trust in Christ. Above all things, he trusted in Christ. But that was the path that he was called to walk upon. And it's much the same as the path that many of us walk on. Every day of our lives, we deal with various kinds of sufferings and struggles throughout our daily lives. But like Paul, we too have a grace that is sufficient. We too have the power of Christ being made perfect in our weakness. Yes, Paul did great and glorious things, but I find comfort in him saying things like the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Yes, he has done great and glorious things, but he also suffers in the daily struggles of regular old Christian life. He struggles with meeting his needs. He struggles with connecting with people. He struggles with trusting people even. He has encountered so many false prophets. He has encountered dangers from his own people and from the Gentiles. Rebukings and mockings. So much of his life can connect with ours when we recognize he had a special calling to do, yes, great and glorious things, but he also had an ordinary calling to live the Christian daily life just like us. And in that Christian daily life, he wrestled against this thorn that kept him from becoming conceited, that kept him from thinking too highly of himself, of thinking that he was so great and glorious in God's eyes that he received this gift. And this thorn drove him into weakness. And Paul says, that's the great and glorious thing for me. I need to be weak that I will know the strength of Christ. And likewise for ourselves, we need to be weak day in and day out so that we can know the presence of Christ that comes to us in strength as we cry out in weakness. We're not called to act like we are strong in the midst of our struggles, but we are called to cry out to the Lord. The Lord tells us to call upon Him, to know His healing, to know His strength. As our very psalm said this day, Unto you I lift up my eyes, you who are enthroned in the heavens, as the servants, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden to the hand of her mistress, even so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until he shows us his favor. And we know where the favor of the Lord rests. It rests in Christ alone, in him crucified, raised, and ascended for our sake. We look up to Christ. Our eyes rest upon Him knowing that that is where He pours His favor upon us. And that favor does not always take the form that we like. But nonetheless, that grace is sufficient to make us strong enough to endure. Strong enough to pass through the trials and temptations and hardships of this valley of death that we live in. That we walk through. We don't look to live upon the mountains. We don't seek those revelations They may come, they may not. It doesn't matter. But we are called to live in our weakness to know the power of Christ. As we walk in weakness, we know that strength and we know that grace and we can draw near always and forever to Christ Himself. We can draw near in weakness and know strength. Paul directly and completely undercuts any concept of a Victorious life of health and wealth with his words here this day. 
He cuts against it for the sake of the gospel. He cuts against it in order that Christ would be known to all the people who are struggling with their weaknesses. He cuts against this idea that we are to be given and to receive great and glorious visions all the time. He cuts against it so that we would look to Christ crucified as He said, I knew nothing but Christ crucified amongst you. I wanted to know nothing but Christ crucified and to show you Christ crucified, to show you how Christ took your sins upon Himself to make you whole, to reveal to you His grace that it is sufficient as you endure weakness so that you would always be able to boast in what the Lord has done, that you can boast in Jesus, not in yourself, but to boast in the greatness and the glories of Jesus that are revealed even in your weaknesses, even in your struggles, even in the temptations and trials of this life, the greatness and the gloriousness of the grace of Jesus Christ for us is poured out and revealed to us and in us and through us. And so may we draw near to our Lord Jesus as Paul did, not in strength, but in the very weakness of, of our brokenness and the weakness of this sin riddled body and the weakness of this downtrodden body. Draw near in weakness to know the strength of Christ Himself, to know that He will empower us to endure, that He will give us the strength. If He doesn't bring us healing, He will give us the ability to endure as we draw near to Him, as we come and rest in that tent of His power. If we come to rest and abide and dwell with Christ and receive His Spirit and His grace, may we rest alone in Christ and find the strength to endure despite the weakness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.